0: And it's great to see you guys. It's great to see you guys this morning. Um, bit of a warm one today, huh? We're going to be starting a short series in Second Peter next week. And before we get to that, um, I thought it would be really good if we get to know Peter a little bit. So you might know a little bit about the Apostle Peter, um, but we really want to get to know the ins and outs of what makes this guy tick. So we're going to take some time um, to have a look at some really big events in his life, which I call rites of passage. So we did this a few weeks ago with the Apostle Paul as well. We're going to be doing this uh, with the Apostle Peter. And rites of passage, if you've never heard that phrase before, they're big events or ceremonies that mark someone's life, that mark your life as you move into another significant part of your life. So. Uh, in our lives, some of the things that you might see in our culture today are things like births, marriages, deaths. Uh, some of the things that you might have experienced are things like graduation or your 18th, your 21st. Um, not many 30ths here. You know, I might be one of the few. Um, follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen here in front of you as we take a look at Peter's life. But first, a, a few quick facts about Peter. So Simon Peter is one of Jesus's first disciples. And he's kind of a a leader among the disciples. So if you ever look up, like, Bible art, you know, if you're ever at home and you're Googling these things, Bible art, you'll see, you know, obviously Jesus. He's like the main guy, right? And then you'll see Peter. He's kind of the uh, second guy, you know, the right-hand man. And you can see his prominence even in the reading that Yunji gave to us just before as we first meet Andrew in this passage but Andrew gets described as Simon Peter's brother. You know, do we have any like, younger siblings you know, in the house today? Like, you might actually experience this if you have met people that know your brother or your sister first. And then you always get introduced as, oh, so-and-so's brother is here or so-and-so's sister is here. Um, Andrew is described as Peter's brother and not the other way around. Um, Peter often acts as a spokesman for the disciples, and he's often the first to react whenever Jesus says something or does something. He kind of speaks up first. And what we know about his background is that he grew up in Bethsaida. Um, It's a fishing village along the Sea of Galilee. Um, There he operated a fishing business alongside two of the other disciples, James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee. And we also know from Mark's gospel, and also from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, that Peter's married as well. So it's no small thing that he casts down his nets and follows Jesus. It involves a lot of sacrifice in order to leave not only his work behind, but his wife behind as well. As we prepare to look at his life, uh, let's. how about we pray that God would guide us in his wisdom as we open up his word. Why don't you pray with me? Father, uh, we want to thank you that you bring us together today, God, uh, that we can share in the Word and we can share it in opening up the Word together. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you guide us in all of your wisdom through the Holy Spirit, that even as we uh, look across several different passages today, um, that we might not stumble over these things, but we might be able to see the way that you've worked in this man Peter's life and indeed how that pertains to us today. Um, How do you work in our lives today? We want to know what it means to have faith like this. Uh, We really want to be guided by your presence, and so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to seek you through this time. Speak to us, Lord, clearly. Help us, Lord, to clear our minds of any sort of distractions that might have come up throughout this week. May we be uh, clear-minded, and may our hearts be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit today. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How about we first take a look at how Simon Peter gets introduced in that passage in John 1. So in John 1, uh, towards the end of the reading that Yunji gave us, we read, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas or Cephas in English, which is translated Peter. So we see Andrew telling his brother Simon about the Messiah, the much anticipated Christ that they've all been waiting for. The Israelites by this time, they haven't had a king for a long time, and they're living under Roman rule. And some at this stage believe that the promised Messiah would come back and bring kingship back to the Israelites, so they would kind of overthrow the government. Andrew couldn't have known quite at this time yet that this was not only the king. Jesus was not only king, but he was also the anointed prophet and the priest, the one who's set apart, and God himself. But he does know, something's telling him, this is special. This is the Messiah. So he tells his brother, in other gospel accounts, we get a little bit more detail about Simon's first meeting with Jesus as you know, he's worked hard all night but caught no fish. He's a fisherman, right? When Jesus asks him to cast again, Simon reluctantly agrees. He does oblige Jesus. After telling Jesus he's worked hard all night and caught nothing, but then he does it, and he ends up shocked at the haul of fish that he brings in. Now, we see here in the Gospel of John that Jesus gives Simon the name Cephas, translated to Peter for us. And again, in other Gospel accounts, we see that Jesus tells Peter that he will now be a fisher of men, catching people rather than fish from that point onwards. And Simon Peter's new name, we're told, that he receives from Jesus means rock. He tells him, you are rock. Now, I wonder if you might know the significance of your name. Like, think about your own name. Has anyone ever told you, have, have your parents ever told you what your name means? You know, this is something that I think is more prevalent maybe in Korean culture, but also um, your English name as well might travel back a little bit, you know, if you look into what your name means. Or what about Peter? What would make you call someone rock give them a new name rock would they have to exhibit unwavering faith or just otherworldly strength in order for you to call them rock or perhaps you know if they're just a professional wrestler and they become an actor you can call them rock now, after the gospel accounts, but before we hear from him again in his letters in First and 2 Peter, we encounter Peter one more time in Acts, where we find that he's become a bold preacher of the gospel of grace. We see the way that he steps out in faith, he leads the church. We see his bravery in preaching the gospel, the gospel of grace, even in the face of imprisonment. And Peter shows himself as well to be really open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in becoming a missionary to all people, and not just his own people, but to all people. There are stumbles along the way as well. Uh, We see in Paul's letter to the Galatians that Peter stumbles, and Paul has to get in his face and rebuke him. But ultimately, Peter demonstrates his love for God, his commitment to Christ, when He refuses to deny him and dies the death of a martyr in Rome. This is the kind of faith that this man Peter has. But where does this kind of faith come from? You ever think about this? Like when you're reading about the faith of these saints, the faith of these guys from long ago, where does this kind of faith come from? Now, throughout the recorded history of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the way that Peter follows Jesus. So we see a whole bunch of stuff throughout the gospel account. If you look through, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Peter, he speaks up on behalf of the disciples at different times. When none of the other disciples are saying anything, Peter's the first to stand up and say something. He bears witness to all of the different things that the Lord does, listens carefully to his teaching, he he sees miracles that he can't quite explain makes you wonder, is Peter just born with this rock-like faith? Is Peter just a special case? Well, the gospel accounts, they also serve to show us that Peter doesn't quite live up to his name at times, of being a rock of faith. There's that time when Jesus says it's necessary for him to suffer, be rejected, killed, and resurrected. Peter has the gall to take him aside and rebuke him You know, I don't know that many people that rebuke God, but Peter goes and rebukes him, perhaps feeling that he knows better than his Lord and his Master about how everything was supposed to go down. Like, come here, Jesus. Let me tell you something about the Messiah. This is actually how it's supposed to happen. There was also that time when Jesus was very sorrowful. He's troubled. He goes to pray in the garden in Gethsemane, and he asked Peter and the two sons of Zebedee Stay awake with me. Pray with me. Like, can you imagine someone, like your best friend, is crying and praying, and he's suffering, and he tells you, just stay up with me, and just, and then they fall asleep. And Jesus can't believe it. He's like, you guys are asleep. But the thing that perhaps we remember Peter for best is his denial of even knowing Jesus. He denies even knowing Jesus. We see this. We see the lead up to it in John chapter 13. It reads this, Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? I think we have a slide for that um, with the passage in John 13. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. We looked uh, not too long ago at Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, and this is happening very shortly after that incident. So not long after Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, Peter gets faced with the suggestion, that Jesus is going somewhere that he can't follow. And this does not make sense to Peter at all. He's thinking, man, if something's going down, I'm gonna be there alongside you, Jesus. Like, you have to believe me. He's even willing to lay down his life for his Lord. That's what he's telling him. You know, we would love to have friends that say things like this, right? I will lay down my life for you. Isn't this a beautiful sentiment? With an even more beautiful twist? Right? The very opposite is true, because Peter is going to flee, but Jesus, his God, will lay down his life for him. It's so beautiful if you read it. In this, is perhaps something that we can also learn about our dependence on God. I think a lot of us would say, I will do this for you, God. And then God replies, haven't I already done that for you? And aren't I going to do that for you? Jesus replies to Peter that, in fact, not only will Peter be unable to follow him, but Peter is even going to deny him three times. And then, not long after that, it happens, just as Jesus says. The dreaded time comes when there's an entire company of soldiers, some officials show up to arrest Jesus, Peter, for his, for his part, gets up in arms, takes out a sword and slashes at this guy, this servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. He cuts off Malchus' right ear. But then he gets really bewildered when Jesus tells him, put your sword away. And then he goes willingly, saying, this is the cup that my father has given me to drink. Now, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that what's driving Peter at this point, it's not faith like a rock that's causing him to slash out of Malchus. This is not faith like a rock. Well, you might be tempted to say, no, Peter's just trying to defend his friend and his master. And we'd be right. Yes, he is trying to defend his friend and his master. But this itself is very telling on Peter's part. See, Peter doesn't understand at a fundamental level who Jesus is. He's still thinking in very human terms. He doesn't need defending by a man with a sword. He's God. In fact, Peter's defense of Jesus is so intimately linked with his rebuke of Jesus that it's unbelievable. It's pretty much along the same lines because in Peter's mind, Jesus cannot be arrested. He can't possibly suffer and die because to him, the promised Christ is supposed to come and turn everything around, politically, socially, religiously. He's supposed to wrest power back from Rome, hand it to his religious ethnic crew. How can Jesus be king If he's going to be arrested and die, this is what's going on in Peter's mind. More than faith like a rock at this point, Peter's acting a little bit, I suppose, hard-headed, thinking in human terms about human concerns rather than about the things that are on God's heart. Now, I've often seen a lot of myself in Peter throughout my Christian life. I wonder if maybe you would say the same for yourself. You know, sometimes we can be a little bit impulsive. Sometimes we can jump the gun. Sometimes we can really believe things about ourselves that perhaps aren't true. And the things that preoccupy our minds they are so small, while God's thoughts are on another level entirely. So the Bible goes on, describing what happens later that night. So in John 18, Simon Peter was following Jesus as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was a doorkeeper. And brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who was a doorkeeper, said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples, too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there, warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them, warming himself. Imagine that everything that you had believed in, everything that you were rock solid in your identity about, disappears in a flash, in an instant. Peter's thoughts of revolution, they're swept from under his feet. Memory is going through his mind of being the only one who actually physically attacked a servant of the high priest the high priest whose courtyard that he's currently in. Maybe he's trying to figure out, what's my next move here? Or who should I align myself with now? Perhaps his thinking is, he has to distance himself from his master in order to even enter into this courtyard. He's thinking maybe half a step ahead. But after the first time denying Jesus, it becomes that much easier to do it again. Whatever the case, all that occurs to him is to keep himself safe, to not end up in the same spot as Jesus. See, it's really easy to talk big, to make promises when you're safe in a room somewhere, when you're eating good food among good friends. But it's a lot harder to maintain those ideals in a cold, dark place, surrounded by people that are unfamiliar, seemingly hostile towards your group. Luke 22 reads this. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting. This man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. In other gospels we hear about how Peter conducted himself in this moment. He curses and denies up and down that he knows Jesus. Literally curses out a girl and says, "No, I don't know Jesus." And then a rooster crows and Jesus looks at him. And Peter remembers what the Lord had said earlier that night, his own promise to him. And he could do nothing except weep bitterly. Put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment here. The memory of this scene by this charcoal fire would forever be burned into your memory. You'd remember it for the rest of your life because this is a type of experience that will shape someone for the rest of their lives. When you're so certain that you know yourself when you know the way that you're going to act in a certain way when you're under pressure. And then you discover who you truly are when you're faced with that situation and you find only disappointment. The memory of your pride as you made that promise that you couldn't keep and then the realization of the failure that follows. Later on in the Gospel of John, in John 21, Jesus has already died uh, upon the cross. The next time that we see Peter, the Lord has already been hung upon the cross, died, resurrected, and he's with them. And John 21 reads this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called Twin, Nathanael from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. "'I'm going fishing,' Simon Peter said to them. "'We're coming with you,' they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus.' "'Friends,' Jesus called to them. "'You don't have any fish, do you?' "'No,' they answered. "'Cast the net on the right side of the boat,' he told them, "'and you'll find some.' So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, "'It is the Lord.' When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish. 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So as, you, as we mentioned, this is the next time that we kind of run into Peter after the whole incident. And you can tell that Peter is in a bad way. There's no sense of unity among the disciples. Did you guys notice this? Peter tells the others what he's going to do, and then the others just decide to follow him. There's no leadership there. There's no sense of mission to tell people about the good news that Jesus died and rose again. The disciples seem wounded, directionless, far from being the ones that we see in the book of Acts. And Peter himself, perhaps feeling far from being the rock that Jesus named him, tells everyone he's going fishing. He's back to what was once the most familiar thing in the world to him. But just as it happened, when he first encountered the Lord Jesus, he catches nothing. And Just like that morning, Jesus tells the disciples, cast your nets again. And once more, the net is bursting with fish. And when the disciples make it back to land, they find Jesus waiting for them by a charcoal fire with breakfast. Just like the time leading up to the crucifixion, Jesus is a few steps ahead of the disciples, providing for their needs, serving them, feeding them. Jesus is always ahead of us, providing for our needs, serving us, feeding us. Quite often, we can get stuck in our own heads about A lot of different things when it comes to the big events in life that define us, the rites of passage that we go through. For all of us, there's this image, this perception that we have about ourselves and our minds. And When that perception of ourselves is shattered, we get lost in our own thoughts. We try desperately just to keep on going, and we don't really give a thought to what God might be doing. We become like Peter in the moments following Jesus' arrest. Like at once, he's riding high on emotion, so certain not only of his own status as Jesus' right-hand man, but of Jesus' identity as a revolutionary that's going to fix everything back to the way that Peter wants it to be. And then when it doesn't pan out, he can't figure out what to do next. He doesn't know what to do. And so he stands, warming himself by this charcoal fire that's soon going to become a symbol, a reminder of his failure and his broken identity. Do you guys see that? There's, throughout the Bible, the Bible doesn't waste words. If there's a word in the Bible, there's a reason it's there. And so Peter stands by this charcoal fire. And while we're lost in our own thoughts, God's thoughts are on another level entirely. John 21 continues, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus said. The charcoal fire, the symbol and the reminder of his greatest failure and his broken identity becomes a place of his greatest restoration. Jesus gives Peter the chance to once again speak first. Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Before, Peter could declare with no hesitation that he's going to even lay down his life on behalf of Jesus. And although the exact opposite happened later that evening, Jesus lovingly asks him that question again that's burning on Peter's mind too. Are you willing to say that kind of statement again? Are you willing to put your word on the line again? Three times the Lord communicates confidence in choosing Peter, mirroring the three times that Peter denied knowing him. See, although Peter might second-guess himself and think that he's nothing more than the fisherman that he once was, Jesus gives him the opportunity to undo what he has spoken, to be reinstated as a fisher of men, and to feed and shepherd Jesus's precious flock. And this is how Peter's love for Jesus. The evidence of God's wisdom in reinstating him are to be demonstrated by Peter's servant leadership. In Jesus, Simon is Peter, the rock, even when his faith was more rocky than like a rock, even when his actions communicated something else about him, even when he could do nothing but doubt his own identity the Lord remains certain of Peter's identity in him. And he calls him Simon, communicating with him. You don't need to act in a certain way or do a certain thing in order for you to live up to your name, the new name that you were given. Come just as you are. And he simply asked, do you love me? And the answer of yes is enough. In fact, the answer is just as Peter says. You, O Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus knows that Peter loves him, and that's enough. Giving him that new name, Kephas, Peter, the rock, this was Jesus showing Simon Peter what he's going to make of him. Not who he already is or who he has to live up to. See, the name is not a burden that hangs around Peter's neck, but instead, the name becomes wings that lift him up. So put yourself in Peter's shoes once more. This is the type of experience that will shape the rest of your life. When you're so certain that you know yourself, that you've seen the way that you've acted in a certain situations, and then you discover the Lord already knows, and you find only grace. The memory of your pride as you made that promise that you couldn't keep, and then the realization of the forgiveness that follows. Denying the Lord Jesus is as grave an offense as Peter could have possibly committed. And yet, grace that forgave him is greater still restoring Peter to friendship entrusting to him to shepherd Jesus' precious sheep see this grace this forgiveness, this restoration it means there's hope for us too what's the symbol the reminder in your life of your greatest failure before God What's your charcoal fire? Will you allow Jesus to now meet you there to turn that place into the site of your greatest restoration? Why don't we pray together and let's listen closely as he asks you if you love him. Let's pray. Father, We wanna thank you for the love, the grace that is in your son, Jesus. We see it demonstrated through the big events that Peter goes through in his life. Even when his own faith was not quite like the rock that he was named, Jesus remained as a solid rock that he could stand upon. Thank you, Lord, that even the memory that's burned into his mind of that charcoal fire by which he denied Jesus, that charcoal fire becomes a place of his greatest restoration. In this is an example that we can look to of the way that Jesus relates to us. We here at New Life today We confess, we often make promises that we can't keep. We say things to you that we know deep down in our hearts that we might not live up to. Let those places, those memories, those sites of our greatest failures become now, the places of our greatest restoration just as Jesus did for Peter and the rest of the disciples, remind us now that you provide for us, that you go ahead of us, that you serve us in our needs, that you feed us. You call us your little sheep. Thank you that you restore us. Thank you that the answer of yes is enough when you ask us do you love me would you help us to muster up in our hearts the courage to say that to reply to you Lord you know all things and you know that I love you and now would you give us the courage to open up our hearts to the flood of forgiveness and grace that follows the embrace that you have for us Hold us now. Help us to commit ourselves to you. And help us, Lord, to receive your forgiveness and your grace once again. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.